On July 27, 1996, an explosion rocked the city of Atlanta, which was hosting the Summer Olympic Games. One person was killed and 111 were injured. Luckily for everyone, the vaunted experts at the FBI were on the case and almost immediately were able to identify and focus on a prime suspect, the 33-year-old security guard who had located the bomb. His name soon leaked to the press, and the world watched and waited for his arrest. But was he the actual bomber? Had the FBI gotten it wrong? In this week's HPH, we're telling you all about this man, the bombing, the investigation, and the media circus that followed. Grab a drink, settle in, and enjoy this episode of 100 Proof History titled The 96 Olympic Bombing. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong man. This is 100 Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. Welcome into 100 Proof History. As always, everyone, thank you once again for joining us. Yeah, Chris, today uh we're talking about a little little inside frame job. Yep. Unintentional frame job. Ooh, slow down. Don't spoil the story, Gregory. Gotta keep them in suspense. It was in the title. Oh shit, you're right. Okay, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a uh, frame job. <laughs> Love a good frame job. Second only mm-hmm. to an Italian job. The remake, though. The remake of oh, The Italian Job. Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. good. It was oh, so man. good. Oh, man. Hey, yo, let's just steal some paintings. I'm Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was a good movie. And like you said, Greg, we were talking about a frame job. We're talking about the 96 Olympic bombing. It's very topical because if you're listening as a normal pleb, today is July 22nd. And tomorrow, July 23rd, the official opening ceremony of the 2020 Olympic Games is being held in Tokyo. We did it. We did it. Only a year late for some reason. I don't don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. Yeah, that's that's weird. Very strange. The 2020 Euros just got done, and now it's the 2020... Did I miss something? No, and I'm still waiting on the uh, 2020 election results, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> I'm very excited. Uh, well, according to one of the lawyers in this story, completely fraudulent. Oh, I forgot about that. I forgot that this dude was in that story. Oh, you're yes. right. Yes, 100 yes. right. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we'll get to that. Yes, we will. It'll all make sense soon. Yes, you will understand later, and you'll understand more about this story. More than we're going to tell you, we're going to tell you the nuts and bolts and the fun parts. But you'll understand a little bit more if you check out our main source, which is called The Suspect by Kent Alexander and Kevin Salwin. Kent Alexander was one of the Department of Justice prosecutors who was looking into this case back in the day. So he has a lot of insight. It's, it's a very good book. Uh, it was almost like reading fiction. It was so good and so well paced and put together, man. It was. Yeah, I liked it, was, it a lot. I, I, liked it I enjoyed lot. it quite a bit. And speaking of the Olympics, Chris, Mm -hmm. I think you have something to tell these people. I do. Uh, If you guys don't know, we have a YouTube channel, uh, YouTube slash 100 Proof History, whatever it is. Just find 100 Proof History on YouTube. 
And there we have a little few clips you might have seen on Instagram, maybe not. But we also have videos talking about history stories that you won't get on the podcast. So, like, I've done a video on the RMS Lusitania. And Greg just did a video on the 1904 Olympic Marathon. Just a crazy fucking story. It's pretty wild. Pretty wild. Yeah, it's crazy. So check that out. And since we're talking about the Olympics, it kind of ties in, right? We did it. We tied it in. I mean, it directly ties in. It's not a far stretch at all. Oh, no, no. You got to think about it. You got to, like, oh, you got to put it all together. <laughs> oh, they're both called the same exact fucking thing. Holy shit. I never. <gasps> Dude. Olympics and Olympics. What the fuck? How's everybody not seen this at every fucking couple years? <laughs> There's a summer one and then a winter one. Uh, everybody has definitely noticed that, Chris. Yeah, it's a, it's a running thing. Uh, running, oh, you're running because it's me. a marathon. You did it. You made the pun. Let's just continue. Let's just move L- on. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> well, you ready to get into this story? Absolutely. I'm so excited. Let's fucking do it. All right. Three, two, one, go. The Summer Olympic Games began in the 8th century BCE in Greece as a religious celebration of the god Zeus. But, by the 4th century CE, the Romans were ruling everything and they decided to convert to Christianity, so anything celebrating the noted nymphomaniac Zeus was abandoned. It wasn't until the year 1896 that a Frenchman decided the games needed to come back to Athens, Greece. Kind of makes you miss the heathen times, you know? A little bit. It's bullshit. Let's celebrate a nymphomaniac? It's fucking awesome. Oh, I'm going to turn into a bull and fuck this lady. Hey, oh, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm a snake? T- yeah, and a horse and a sheep and everything. Like, apparently, back then, like, you know, we've talked about it before, how the, the strong Greek men had tiny penises. So Zeus is like, I'm going to take advantage of this shit. I'm like, hey, check out my donkey dick. Yeah, because <laughs> the larger... Penises were seen as more barbaric, right? In in feature, yeah. That's why all the statues be having the tiny pee pee. That's why my Tinder profile says I'm a Greek god. God, why can't we go back to that time? <laughs> I'm a nymphomaniac. Just ask Hambone. <laughs> Please don't make me do it again. Shut up. <laughs> Shut your mouth. <laughs> you chose to be here. You know what this was. <laughs> Well, over the following years, the games moved all over the world with cities bidding years in advance to be the host city. By 1987, the Olympic Committee was trying to decide who would host the 100-year anniversary games in 1996, better known as the Centennial Games. (laughs) Smart, because it's 100 years. Guys, right? Right, guys? That's not smart. There's a park called Centennial Park. Uh, we'll get there. Shut up. <laughs> Just let me be smart for a moment, Just, please. Centennial means 100 years. <laughs> please, <I'm so> Daddy. <laughs> I guarantee you if I had said, celebrating the centennial anniversary of the game, somebody would be like, what the fuck is that shit? Is That's fancy talk. What the fuck that mean? They have to Google it. Well, it's centennial, and they don't understand how to spell centennial. It causes all sorts of problems. So I just saved a lot of time and effort by explaining things and then re-explaining why I needed to explain things. You're saving so much time right now. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm also, all about. This is why 1976 is my favorite year in American history. 
Yeah? Because it's the bicentennial. <laughs> <laughs> I was born too late, you know? Anything goes, baby. Anything goes. Well, the natural frontrunner for the games was Athens, Greece. Then some rando, unknown lawyer named Billy Payne decided he wanted the games to come to his city of Atlanta, Georgia, and he went to work. The odds were long, but Payne was relentless in his pursuits and did everything he could to charm the Olympic Committee members, including the use of gifts like a bulldog puppy to a representative from Mexico or bottles of Jack Daniels to a Russian member of the committee. They didn't even correct him when he insisted on calling that whiskey John Daniels. But that was hard for him. Well, that, that'd be hard for you, 100%. Like, hey, give me that bottle of John Daniels. You're like, <sighs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> I mean, sir. <laughs> My mistake. See, we can both get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, cummy bitch. It's Jack Daniels. You know it. But in September of 1990, the Olympic Committee made it official and selected Atlanta as the host of the 1996 Summer Games. So I guess they don't actually go to these cities to vet them, right? <laughs> I mean, there's no way they went to a fucking hot Atlanta in the summer. Right. And they're like, yep, this is ideal. Everybody down! <laughs> Sorry, there's random gunshots. Yeah, that's fine. We're, we're used to it, guys. Just... Like, was that fireworks or a gunshot? Oh, just hang out 10 minutes. You'll, you'll understand. Uh-huh. You'll know. Uh-huh. Yeah. They're, they're uh, totally fireworks. Yes, yes. Just they're a, celebrating your arrival. Does the uh, American ambulance normally come for fireworks? Yes. <laughs> yes, sir. They, they do. <laughs> yeah. They want to see it, too. They're just so excited. <laughs> they just love that, uh, you know, we're so patriotic and we love our country so much. You should definitely put the games here. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you bleeding now? Um. <laughs> here, have some John Daniels in the wound. <laughs> well, the city leaders went to work improving their infrastructure and building new facilities. In the last year in the lead up to the games, Billy Payne decided the city needed a large park where visitors from the multiple visiting countries could congregate and enjoy free concerts. He found some run-down, hobo-infested plot of land and turned it into a beautiful, sprawling park, which became known as Centennial Olympic Park. What a genius name. Right? What an absolute genius name. And it just proves the point that you're right, and they didn't come visit the actual city. Like, oh yeah, that's... (laughs) Just ignore all those hobos out there taking a shit in the middle of the field. Uh, that's a future site of <laughs> Centennial Olympic Park. Like, we just ignored that part. You know, it's fine. Yes, that homeless man is blowing uh, another homeless man for a VCR that neither one of them can use. They don't have electricity. <laughs> it's simply used as a uh, Mad Max-style bartering chip. <laughs> they just pass it around from hobo to hobo. I don't understand. <laughs> Eventually, one of them was like, I got a blockbuster cart. I'm going to, you know, rent some VHS copies of uh, Family <laughs> Matters. I want to see what that Urkel's been up to. <sighs> one of them's like, you know, I was a nom and that shit really fucked me up. Uh, why do you have a blockbuster cart? I'm homeless for a reason. What's yours? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I got addicted to cocaine in the 80s and lost my family, but this is one of the relics from that past life. Right? Hey, I think you got something on your dick. Let me... <laughs> Give me that VCR. <laughs> well, 
Well, naturally, security was a concern for the games. A multi-agency task force was formed to oversee the protection of the games, with local leaders getting the boot. And they decided the security would be more of a, you know, fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of operation. They're like, yeah, it shit happens. It, it fucking happens. We'll deal with it, you know, whatever. Yeah. We'll yeah. adapt and overcome. To boost the manpower up a bit, it was decided that security guards would handle certain tasks, like guarding the crowd in Olympic Centennial Park. But the FBI made it clear that they would be in charge if there was a critical incident. Yes, and a little known fact, bomb scares were common to the Olympics. In 1984, an LAPD officer had found an unexploded device under a Turkish team bus. However, it didn't take long for the security officials to figure out that the bomb was fake, and it had actually been planted by the officer so that he could discover it and become a hero. Bet you that wouldn't, like, color their opinions going forward. Like, they wouldn't, like, look back on that event and think, well, that could probably happen again. Someone, someone else would think it'd do that, right? The opening Olympic ceremonies were held on July 19th, 1996. Crowds cheered as Muhammad Ali lit the Olympic torch and officially kicked off the Summer Games. Actually, it took him a while. You know, like, you're trying to, like, light the wick on a candle, but your hand's all shaky a little bit. You know, so it takes mm-hmm. a little bit to actually make contact. Yeah, Parkinson's was, uh, it was in full effect. Yeah, Parkinson's joke. Nailed it. Yeah. Did it. Real, real fucking classy. Make it fun of a hero. Mm. <sighs> I'm sorry. I'm going to kill myself. Unbelievable. I'm going to blow my brains out after the show. This is my last show, so. Hope you guys are <laughs> gotta liking it. got to make it to 100. We got to make it to 100. <laughs> That's going to be. We're fucking done. Just the, the intro of 100. Just me, the sound of a revolver clicking. And then the firing <laughs> of a gun. And like, all right, welcome to uh, Greg's 200 proof history. I am your main and only host. Uh Well, over the following week, things went really, really great, with the U.S. dominating in basketball, and with little, tiny, sweet and innocent, 14-year-old Carrie Strug carrying the U.S. women's gymnastics team to gold by performing her routine with an injured ankle. I'm sure you've all seen the video. Mm Mm-hmm. She comes off that, uh... Pommel horse. Pommel horse! There we go, horse thingy. Yeah. With her fucking already broken ankle and torn in places and whatever. Yeah. Sticks to fucking landing. Just a little karate kid looking. But anyway, yeah. Such a hero. Won her way in her hearts. And then by August of 1996, we forgot who she was. Moved on with our lives because, eh, let's face it, the Summer Olympics are kind of stupid and lame. And we all, like get really into them for like two weeks and then forget those sports exist for another four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for those those weeks, I'm like, you believe that fucking Finnish judge just pulled that bullshit? 9.4? What the fuck is he thinking? <laughs> this commie fuck. <laughs> fucking socialist bastard. <laughs> Sitting there with his fucking mask and his vaccine, just tell me how I should live my fucking life. That's bullshit. I'll tell you what. I'm going to get my lawyer, Lynn Wood, and I'm going to sue that son of a bitch. <laughs> Overturn these results real quick. Real fast. It'll happen. It's all been like nine months. Whatever. Whatever. We're going to get it done, fellas. 
August 6th, that's the day. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. Anyway. Who knows? Politics. <laughs> While outside the games, visitors flock to Centennial Park by the thousands every night. On July 26th, the patrons gathered here a live performance by the totally real, not made up sounding band, Jack Mack and the Heart Attack. Sounds like something out of a fucking Stephen King novel. Oh, you mean cocaine residue? Yes, 100%. Okay. okay. Like, hey, man, you know what would be a really cool band, band name? You know what would be cool? Jack Mack Heart Attack. Jack, 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 Jack Mack Heart, Heart Attack. Yeah. Because that's what I'm about to have. Go fuck. Call 911. Jesus Christ. Jesus. <laughs> what if a dog went insane and started killing people? That'd be crazy, right? That'd be good. That's a good book. Shh. Shh. Calm down, Stephen. It's okay. It's okay. Touch the fuzzy wall. Yeah. You're fine. You're okay. You're okay. We're just give you a little atropine to get the heart going again. Just uh, slow down. <laughs> slow down your breathing. Protecting the five-story sound and light tower that night was a 33-year-old security guard named Richard Jewell. Richard Jewell was born on December 17, 1962 in Danville. 100 Proof History. No, no, different Dan. Danville. Virginia to Bobby and Bob White. Hey, stepbrother. Sorry, their their names are just similar. That's it's just a little weird. I don't like when people do that. Marry somebody with mm-hmm. a similar name. It makes me uncomfortable. And then they start like, you know, uh marrying your first cousin's legal in like thirty two states. You're like, oh Jesus. Jesus, why did I come to this dinner party? <laughs> uncomfortable for me. There's no law against throwing your uh, your keys in that bowl when you walk in either. Oh, God damn it. But it is uh, kind of a house rule. It's a requirement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someone needs you to throw them in there. <laughs> I brought a jello mold. Look. It looks like a bunt cake, but it's jello. <laughs> Get it? Well, Bob soon proved to be unfaithful and the couple divorced. A few years later, Bobby met and married John Jewell, who was such a good father that his stepson Richard took his name and delighted in telling people it was spelled J-E-W-E-L-L, like a piece of jewelry, but with two L's. You know, like the uh, the big mentally challenged guy from the Green Mile would do with his name. It's like the drink, but not spelled the same, Greg. Old John Coffee. You suck the evil right out of you. Five dollars. I won't even tell your wife. Oh, you don't have a five dollar bill on you. This might sound like a strange question, but do you have a VCR in your trunk? Because <laughs> I have this Blockbuster card. And I'm it's just burning a fucking hole in my pocket. <laughs> you guys hear they don't have any late fees anymore? Oh my god. I just take whatever I want. Anyone born after 2003 just has the biggest fucking question mark over their head right now. Oh, our entire audience. Great. Yes. Yeah, that's fine. Nice and topical. (laughs) It's a history podcast. It's a history podcast. Learn your history (laughs) and your jokes from history 20 years ago. Whatever. Just fucking pay pay attention. Well, when Richard was in college, his stepdaddy left Bobby a cryptic note. 
and then just disappeared into the ether. Since she was poor as fuck, Richard had to quit college and come home to live with her and help her get by. His mom was less than grateful, and despite the fact that he was 20 goddamn years old, she would still beat him with a belt when she felt like he was getting out of line. Well, please, Mommy, may I have another? No, please don't beat me. I've forgotten the safe word, Mommy. (laughs) You wouldn't want to take advantage of that, would you? (laughs) Old German Richard Jewell. That's exactly what he sounded (laughs) like. Richard found work as a retail security guard, but what he longed for, what he desperately wanted, was a career in law enforcement. Actually, he was fucking obsessed with becoming a cop. By 1989, he had moved out of his mom's place and was living with a roommate who would make that roommate watch taped episodes of Cops over and over again while Richard critiqued the police work on the show. Yeah, and little known fact, it was also around this time that Richard was desperately seeking love. While working at a TCBY yogurt, I guess it's kind of redundant, I think the Y stands for yogurt, but fuck you, I'm trying to tell <laughs> you knows? what it is. Don't yell at your radio listener. They can't believe it's, it's not yogurt, that's what I think it stands for. I don't think that's true at all. <laughs> the whole it's not just isn't in there? No, it's, it's that's not true, right? lower caps. Lower caps, also known as lowercase. Yes. Okay. Lower screaming on the internet. That's what it's called. <laughs> well, but while working at TCBY, he became infatuated with a woman named Nancy. He would constantly call her work to ask her out and left roses and notes on her car. And what made this extra crazy is she worked in like a call center with like 250 operators. Yeah. So he would just fucking call. And if it wasn't her, he'd hang up and keep calling. Jesus. That's normal behavior. It's normal, Completely man. normal. Yeah, we've yeah. all been there. We've all been there. <laughs> That's how I met my wife. <laughs> well, my, my dead one. <laughs> Not my current one. We have a Dateline special. You should check it out if you get a chance. But <laughs> Well, Nancy wasn't interested in Richard at all and wound up changing her phone number once she found out Richard was telling his mom that Nancy was his girlfriend. Mm, this guy's sus, Greg. He's very sus, as the kids say. Seems like somebody that would play in a bomb. Whoa. Whoa. Maybe. Great contribution. Thank you. Thank you for my woes. <laughs> I said whoa twice. Like, I-, I have nowhere to go with this. If the real Joey from Blossom died and they were doing a reboot, <laughs> you would nail that audition. All right. In 1990, at the age of 27, Richard was working for the Habersham County Sheriff's Office as a jailer making an astronomical $11,000 a year. Big bala. During this time, Richard was moonlighting as a security guard, or courtesy officer, at his apartment complex. One night, he attempted to arrest a couple that was having sex in the hot tub, but since he wasn't actually a police officer and had no authority to arrest anyone, he wound up being the one who went to jail and was charged with impersonating an officer. (laughs) <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> but wouldn't you know it, listener, the sheriff's office decided not to discipline Richard and let him keep working as a jailer. Investigated ourselves, found no wrongdoing. <laughs> Typical, am I right? Within a year, he was a dispatcher, and then, just a few months later, he was promoted to patrol and was officially a deputy with his own police cruiser. He did it. Oh, shit. He did it. 
Life goal achieved. He's going to be the best cop ever. Just the best. He's on such an upward trajectory. Yeah, you know? nothing bad's going to happen to this guy. Even though we already said he's a security guard later. I don't know how he got there. I don't know how it happened to him. Probably. Side gig, man. Side yeah, gig. yeah, there you go. He was just he just loved America so much. He was like, I'm not gonna sit on the sidelines and watch these motherfuckers say our our, uh, our ribbon dancing isn't good enough. I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna make change. And I'm gonna plant a bomb. Where am I? <laughs> Whoa, I don't know. It's not like our maybe. title gave it away. <laughs> that it, he didn't. Who knows? Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he did. Maybe we're fooling you. Maybe we're on his side. Maybe we are complicit. Yeah. Maybe you just uh, changed your podcast that you're listening to. And you're just <laughs> listening to music now. You're just you're talking to the wind. Yep. What's new? But for those of you who are still here, what if we took over the government? What if that happened? You know, what if hmm? we... Uh, uh, hmm? I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying, what if a lot of bombs are planted? No, you know what? Never mind. I'm not going to. Maybe we'll all march to the Capitol on our behalf. And, yeah. you know, I don't know. Probably some cush jobs waiting for you. <laughs> Wait till next year, though. Do it on January 6th. Yeah. Specifically. Yeah. But what if we built, I don't know, maybe like a guillotine or gallows or something and like took it to the Capitol and you just, uh, you know, just hung out. Maybe went inside, see what was. What's happening on the inside? I, I don't know. It'd probably change everybody's mind, and we, you know, reverse the elections and all that stuff. Everybody be on our side, and we'd be the heroes. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Thanks for sticking around to Hunter Proof History. Hold on. Let me call Lynn Wood and ask him what. <laughs> Hello. You've reached shit stain. Focus. I know this is obvious satire. I don't want to get arrested like everyone else. <sighs> yes. Disclaimer there. Thank you. Our attorney, Lynn Wood, told us to say that. (laughs) Well, Richard Jewell was actually an outstanding deputy and made several good arrests, but he was a shit-tier driver and was constantly wrecking his squad car, just like crashing into cows and shit out in the countryside of Georgia. In 1995, he was given a new car, and the sheriff was like, hey, don't fucking wreck this one. Don't do it." it. It was his old car. Yeah, like, fix it up, made it look all good and shit. Don't wreck it. Just don't wreck it. Well, he almost immediately decided to prank a fellow deputy by driving past him at a high rate of speed. Uh, Something he called buzzing the tower, like in Top Gun. Just like, hey, watch this shit. I'm going to go just blasting past him uh, with his lights off in the middle of the night. No recipe for disaster there unless the guy, like, happens to turn in front of you because he can't see this fucking car coming up. Alongside yeah. of him. The, the yeah. tower and Top Gun did not move. <laughs> right. And it was the middle of the fucking day. This guy was making a U-turn. <laughs> yeah. Well, instead, he smashed that other squad car and he totaled both. The sheriff told Richard, hey, you can go back to work as a jailer or you can quit. And Richard said, fuck that shit. I am out of here. I'm not going back to jail, motherfucker. Not going back to jail. You can't take me back. I don't want cups of piss thrown on me. I'm out. <laughs> Wait, is that a part of the job? How much does it pay? They they hire you're jail. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> is that guaranteed or yeah, seasonal like, or? Like, do I have to go to Walmart and buy the cups myself? Or you know what? Let's just let's try and keep things green. Can they just? Yeah, I don't know. Piss directly in my mouth on my face. <laughs> 
No need to use that single-use plastic, you know? Right. Ruining the environment. You seen that documentary on Trash Island? Come on, just pee in my mouth, baby. So yeah, he quit that job, and then he went to work as a campus cop at Piedmont University in Demorest, Georgia, where he would also moonlight as a disc jockey for the college radio station, go by the name DJ Radar. But he didn't really fit in here either. He went strictly by the book and would arrest college students for the smallest infractions. As reports were so long and detailed that his superiors found them tedious and pointless to read. He also frequently strayed from the campus to, quote, assist the local police department, unquote, who actually didn't want his fucking help. They constantly complained to his chief. In May of 1996, Richard pulled over a driver in DeMorris and arrested him for DWI. What's more, the local cops complained to his chief, who in turn offered Richard a choice. Hey, you know what? You've been acting up. What if we put you on probation? Or you can just quit the department. Put you on probation, you on an improvement plan. Yeah. We counsel you to be a better officer. I mean, or you can resign, but we really want to help you, Richard. We want to help you. So what's your choice? Uh, Richard decided to quit. Oh, fuck you guys. I'm out. I'm the super cop. You guys are fucking bullshit. You're like, ah, oh, let's, <laughs> let's let these college students drink beer. Okay. <laughs> okay. What's next? They're going to, like, have parties and, you know, discover about their sexuality, figure out who they really are. Fuck no, not on my watch. I'm Richard Jewell. (laughs) Well, so Richard had to move back in with his mom, Bobby, in Atlanta. Just went right back to whipping that ass with that belt. Mm, Go over to her house. She'd be Bobby for apples, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that means. I don't either. I heard... Heard my wife's boyfriend say it once, and it <laughs> kind of stuck with me. It was traumatizing, but now it's funny. That sounds hot. Like I'm, I'm kind of sad that I masturbated to that. Like, oh no, what's he saying to my wife? But it sounds so good. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure that's what he said. I was on the other side of the door <laughs> at his house. They had no idea I was there, but I had a a mask and a gun, and I just <laughs> ear pressed on the door, just going to absolute town on myself. Yeah, I was gonna. Just barge in there and end this for once and all. And I was like, well, this guy is really sexy. I can see why she's here. <laughs> I was going to wave the gun at them and cry a bunch, and the, but ultimately end up using it only on myself. Yeah. But uh, I got that post-nut clarity afterwards. <laughs> and I was like, no, let's, let's see where this goes. Yeah. yeah. Ooh. That was hey, several Russell. weeks ago, so I'll, I'll update you guys. And if I don't, you know what happened. <laughs> There's a reason we're going on break in a couple weeks, and it's, uh, <laughs> you know, just, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'll update you guys. They're going to Cabo together, and you know, <laughs> I gotta surreptitiously get my own flight and kind of follow them around. <laughs> right. Or, you know. I may be looking for a new main host. That's all I'm Masturbate saying. Masturbate a lot. Someone to tell me what to do, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Richard began looking for work and decided a security job at the Olympics would be a good placeholder until he could find work with another police department. On his security application, he underestimated his weight, saying he was 240 pounds, but knowing that he ate a lot when he was depressed. And he also added an inch to his height, saying he was 5 foot 9 inches. He also lied about why he had left his previous jobs. It didn't matter, because the company in charge of the security hired him at an amazing 
$8 an hour. 25 years ago, yes, yeah, still more than a lot of you idiots are making right now. <laughs> yeah, that's the equivalent of like $13 an hour now. Something yeah. like that. Richard hoped the games would be as keen to networking and getting back into actual law enforcement. He commandeered one of the benches by the sound and light tower he guarded and declared it was strictly for law enforcement to take breaks, even going so far as to bring a cooler of drinks for them every day. And of course, when they sat down to rest their feet, he talked their ears off about how much he wanted to be a cop. What a fucking being that must have been for those guys. (laughs) At about 12.30 a.m. on June 27th, as Jack, Mac, and the Heart Attack was playing one of their many hits that we all know and love, because it's a totally real band, guys. It's totally real. Richard spotted seven young men who had left the nearby Speedo tent shotgunning some beers near a park bench. He noticed a big green bag under the bench and assumed it was more beer. Now, when Richard was a college cop, there was no way he would have taken that shit. You know, you guys are drinking. You gotta fucking go. But as a security guard, he just left the area and went back to his actual post. About 20 minutes later, he circled back and noticed that the ground was covered in empty cans. And this, that, oh, that's the final fucking straw. That pissed him right the fuck off. You motherfuckers. It's like, I don't even exist. My authority's not real. You're just pissing in my face. And, you know, I like that, but it's why I quit the jail. Because, you know, they they were using those cups and I couldn't agree with it because it wasn't, you know, ecologically sound. Yeah, yeah, it's right. Straight from the source. Yes, just right from the tap. I don't want it to cool off. No, that that ruins it. Yeah. It's like hot beer, but the opposite. Yeah, yeah. Or cold semen. Yeah, gross. Ah, What's wrong with you? Breaking into cryo banks and drinking semen? No. No. (laughs) Come on. Be ludicrous. It's disgusting. Richard flagged down Georgia Bureau of Investigation agent Tom Davis, who was also the assistant commander of park security. It was then that Richard noticed the green bag was still there. He found one of the Speedo boys, as they would later be known, and asked if the bag belonged to them. They denied knowledge of its existence. At 12.57 a.m., Tom Davis raided in the suspicious package. FBI bomb technicians responded to the scene and quickly determined that the bag contained what appeared to be a real bomb. They then ordered that the park be evacuated. Richard Jewell raced up and down the five-story light and sound tower, ordering everyone to get out. Officers formed a human shield around the device as the drunk and high crowd took their sweet-ass time filtering away from the concert. And I gotta imagine that was pretty hard on these guys. Like, trying to tell everybody, like, you guys gotta go. You gotta leave. Like, you gotta leave. Like, they're not shouting, there's a bomb, because they don't want to panic anybody. And so they're all drunk and high. Like, man, the band's still playing. Why the fuck do I gotta get out of here? I'm a big old Jack Mack and the Heart Attack fan. Yeah, they probably should have stopped the band from playing. Yeah, they absolutely should have. But, you know, whatever. Hindsight. The FBI called in a bomb disposal team at 1.19 a.m. The lead singer of Jack Mack and the Heart Attack prepared to roll into another song by saying, quote, Are you still there? Now we have a special treat for you. They're complicit. They're in on it, I'm telling you. 
Have you heard of him since? Jack Mack and the bomb attack. Right? Right? The clock struck 1.20 a.m., and the park was suddenly rocked by a massive explosion. It was their hit song. <laughs> Just kidding. They, they didn't really have one, so it was an actual bomb. <laughs> the device, which turned out to be a pipe bomb, had gone off sending shrapnel and nails flying through the air at devastating speeds. 111 people would be injured. 44-year-old mother Alice Hawthorne had been leaving the concert, but had stopped to take a photo right before the explosion. She was struck in the head by a nail. It penetrated her brain, killing her instantly. A cameraman would also die of a heart attack as he rushed to cover the bombing, bringing the official death toll up to two. Yeah, and little known fact, the bomb actually had a heavy metal plate that was designed to direct the blast towards the crowd. It's theorized that when Richard chased off the Speedo boys, one of them thought about taking the bag with them, but it was too heavy. So instead, they kicked it, causing the bag to tip over, and the metal plate was rendered basically ineffective. So it just kind of exploded everywhere. But per the book, had it remained in the configuration in which it was placed, there could have been a lot of deaths. Yeah, they've been... Very devastating. Especially without intervention on Jewel's part. Jewel, the bomber, question mark? Not the singer? She's also a suspect. <laughs> Where's she been since this? Nobody's seen her since 1996. Just saying, maybe she's a part of it. <laughs> Richard Jewel had been tossed through the air by the explosion, but he was uninjured. Tom Davis found him and told Richard to write down everything he had seen before the blast, which Richard instantly began doing. The FBI then began an investigation and would spend the entire day gathering pieces of debris and shrapnel and interviewing witnesses, including Richard, who was interviewed four different times. That day, Tom Davis appeared in a press conference saying that uh, Richard had actually found the bomb and he was a goddamn American hero. Suddenly, Richard Jewell found himself at the center of a media whirlwind. Over the following couple of days, he appeared on CNN. He did an interview with the local newspaper, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He was also in the USA Today. And on Tuesday, the 31st, he was on the Today Show with Smokin' Hot, 25 years younger than she is now, Katie Couric. Mm. Sup, girl? America's sweetheart. Hit me up. Despite telling journalists that he wasn't a hero, everyone considered Richard to be one, and he hoped that kind of image would help him get another job in law enforcement. Kept saying it over and over again. I'm not a hero, but you know, if you guys are hiring, hit up Richard Jewell. <laughs> if you got any hero applications, send them my way. <laughs> just or just regular applications that I can fill out. Just if you guys let me know. Yeah, you know. Just give me a fucking badge and a gun, please. <laughs> Well, at first, the FBI focused their investigation on a local militia member as well as an Arabic man whose ex-girlfriend said he had traveled from Texas to bomb the Olympics. Well, both of those leads wound up being dead ends when it was discovered that both men had really strong alibis. But the FBI was also looking to the background of Richard, and what they saw made them wonder, was Richard Jewell actually a hero? Or did he just want everyone to think he was? Or... 
see all of the above? Oh. And tarot bang. <laughs> not, uh, not just question mark, but maybe a little, a little exclamation question mark. Uh, do you? Well, you're about to. Ooh, I like it. After this break. Oh, he's so good. So good. Nailed it. It's like I'm watching Investigation Discovery. Like, oh shit, I better come back. What's gonna happen? If only we had uh, started the break music a little later. Okay, well, we'll see you, oh, I don't know, right now. Here we go. Oh shit, now! (laughs) All right, welcome back from break. Had a good one. I'm ready. I'm, I'm just so excited to be here. I'm just so happy you guys came back from that break, that very long break for you guys. I can't believe you, you decided to stick with us. You know, it's like that magical day when you get down on one knee and you, you pull out the ring and you ask her, it's like, you want to spend the rest of your life with me? And she said, well, I'll spend the rest of your life with you. Like, well, that's very vague and threatening, but uh, I'll take it. Here we are. All right. At the time, you had a high-paying job, you know, Yeah, so it's it was... hard to blame her. Quit your job, like, read a bunch of books about history, and, like, start doing, like, a podcast about history. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> no! Don't be crazy. What do I look like? But that is a good idea, right? Right? <laughs> well, Gregory, we are back, and we're ready to tell the second half of this story, but first... We have to do something else involving the second half, and that is to crack open our second half seltzers. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second Second half seltzer. All right. A three, a two, one. Uh, Drinking noises, and we are enjoying our seltzers with all of you. Super awesome listeners who are doing the same thing while you drive home from work. And now, <laughs> Greg, are you ready to tell these people the rest of the story? In so much as I'm ready to start drinking the hard liquor again. And if I do that right now, it'll impair my speaking. So Never stop yes, me. Yes, I can't wait. Never stopped me. You're not kidding. Piedmont University Police Chief Dick Martin had been watching the news of the bombing on Saturday, July 28th, when he saw Richard Jewell being interviewed. He instantly phoned the FBI and left a tip that Richard had resigned two months earlier and possessed a book on, uh, how to make bombs. Whoa. Whoa, that's damning. Ouch. Meanwhile, at the FBI offices in Quantico, Georgia, the famed Behavioral Sciences Unit BSU, began working up a profile on Richard, believing him to be a strong candidate as a quote-unquote hero bomber. Yeah, and the thing about the BSU, uh, you guys might have seen it in the Netflix series Mindhunter, uh, John Douglas, Bill Ressler, they formed the basically the behavioral science unit. The thing they always did was they started with a profile and then found a suspect. This was very rare in this case where they found a suspect and then worked up a profile on that guy. To try and make it seem like, I don't know, he fit he fit the scenario. Like, oh, yeah, it makes sense that this guy would do it. Uh, Richard, Richard uh, he fits these, you know, these certain categories, these details, and we should create a, uh, create a profile off him. Right. Oh, shit. This guy matches the profile 100%. <laughs> All right. Guys, 
Is anybody else seeing the same thing I'm seeing? This guy fucking definitely did it, right? <laughs> like, oh, uh, he probably goes to bars, calls himself Dick Jewel, you know, trying to hit the ladies. And like, oh shit, we got him. We got him. It's him. It's the fucking bomber. Somebody that would do a crime like this probably has a certain fetish to where he might, he might own one or more aluminum penis cages. <laughs> <laughs> he did it. He fucking did it. That was after they saw Richard. him and that guy Greg in in Texas. It's, we've narrowed it down. It's <laughs> two guys to those in the two. <laughs> That's a new fetish back then. Probably. It was. I mean, I aluminum was expensive in the nineties. You know. <laughs> well, and mine was actually uh, more of a birthright. Like I, I inherited it. Oh wow! It my, yeah, it was my great grandfather's. And unfortunately, he had already passed by the time I was born, but I inherited his penis cage to keep it in the family line. That's, you know, what's impressive that your family kept that because I know during World War II, there's a big drive. And it was aluminum that far back in the past. Yeah. yeah. And Shit World War II, exist. there's a big, big, big drive to get aluminum for like aircraft. And your family's like, no, no, my dick cage, way more important than the war effort. Fuck America. Well, we had to actually hide it in the subfloor. Under the floorboards of the house during World War II. <laughs> One of the only families that had to do something like that throughout the world in World War II. Yeah, it's kind of like Telltale Heart. The inspectors came there looking for aluminum. And your grandfather could hear the the cage direction bouncing through the floorboards. <laughs> I was going more with uh, a lot of European families had to hide Jewish friends and neighbors. I don't know if that was clear. <laughs> but it's a lot less fun. Penis it's a cage. lot less fun. I did, I did bring it down. <laughs> Sorry. Let me bring it back up. Okay. I inherited a penis cage. Yeah! All right. There we are. Yeah, Having fun we're again. We're back. We're back. Having fun again. <laughs> On Monday, FBI agent and all-around great human being, Don Johnson, traveled to Piedmont College to interview Chief Martin, who said that Richard was an adrenaline junkie that was totally engrossed in his job as a police officer. And I know what you're thinking, 14-year-olds. It's uh, it's not the same Don Johnson from Miami Vice and Nash Bridges. <laughs> you guys are all over that, I know, but uh, different guy, different guy. Well, this Don Johnson, federal agent, then met with a former college cop named William Worrell, who said that Richard would have never been a cop if there was a more thorough psychological screening system, and he said Richard was aggressive and abrasive. He even said that when discussing the Olympics, Richard had said that if something big happened, he hoped he was in the middle of it. Johnson arrived back in Atlanta at about the same time the profile of Richard arrived from the BSU. It all lined up. The FBI had a prime suspect. That night, they sent Tim Attaway, a friend of Richard, and a Georgia Bureau of Investigation agent to speak with Richard while wearing a wire. Once again, Richard denied being a hero, but hoped the exposure would help get him a job. That same night, a young reporter from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution named Kathy Scruggs was desperately searching for inside information on the bombing. And she was so 90s hot. So 90s hot, wearing that big... Puffy haircut she had with the curls, wearing mm -hmm. her fishnet stockings under a leather skirt. Not exaggerated. I didn't make that up. That's what she did. Stilettos. Oh, yeah. 
In the office. Yeah. No, no, that's how she dressed and how she looked. And, like, if you were around in the 90s, that was like, oh, let me just slip off into the bathroom and steal some of my mother's facial cream for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like fishnet's still a little risque for work, no? That's what I wear. Nobody says anything, so whatever. I got I got reprimanded for sure. <laughs> it could have been the strap-on. It was under my normal penis. But I have a feeling it was the fishnet. That's what first caught the eye. You're right. Right. It didn't help that you had several live fish in there. You're like, no, 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 no. They go up my ass. You're like, Shh. okay, Greg. <laughs> it's time we had a talk. There's a tube system. Look. <laughs> This three-inch wide PVC. You can see directly in there. You can see my heart beating. It goes up a ways. We have OSHA standards here, sir. If they came in here, they would fine us for what you're wearing. Which is bullshit. Like, I can't operate a forklift dressed like that. <laughs> With a, a three-inch PVC tube shoved up your ass so the fish can get to your heart. Yes. Three inches wide, 24 yes. inches long. Sorry. I'm sorry. Get it right. <laughs> well, that reporter, Kathy Scruggs, had met up with a source in one of the local cop bars and learned that the FBI was focusing on Richard Jewell. And they even had a BSU profile that said he fit the profile of a wannabe hero 100%. You know the whole profile that was made after him? <laughs> yeah, he fits fucking it. nailed it. Jeez. Somebody's getting a raise. How did they do it? Kathy had a raging news boner, but her source said she couldn't go forward with it. She probed the source a little more and said, hey, if I get cooperating information, I can go ahead and report this right. And that source relented, yes. She went to work trying to do just that. That next morning, as Richard Jewell was being interviewed by Katie Couric, Agent Johnson received another memo from the BSU telling him how he and his partner, Greg Rosario, should interview Richard, which the FBI planned to do in a few days. It basically said to keep him calm, act like friends, and tell him that they understood why he wanted to be a hero. Most importantly, the memo said, don't worry if you don't get a confession. Don Johnson thought that was complete bullshit. He's going to get his fucking confession. He's going to get him. Nail him to the wall. I'm getting my confession, or you can call me a fucking lady with PVC in my butt and fish <laughs> swimming around inside me. Oh, we understand. You're, you'll get the confession, Don. Yeah, but if I don't, <laughs> you know, just be prepared to follow through with that. <laughs> and, yeah, don't let me off if, <laughs> you know, if I don't happen to get it. Just start referring to me as a lady. <laughs> don't notice my fishnets. <laughs> And I'll just live the rest of my life that way. I'll still be happy. A bet is a bet. That's all I'm saying. I'm a man of honor until I lose. And maybe I'm a lady of honor with, you know, the fishnets. Don, do you just have something you want to say? No, no, it's only if. Only if. <laughs> Trust me, I'll, I'll feel shame inside, even though I'll be outwardly more happy than I am now. And I'll, I'll look like I feel a lot freer than I do. But it's only because I'm paying up on my, on my bet. Did you guys see that episode of Ellen last night where she came out? That was crazy, right? Like, <laughs> it's weird how much happier she looks now. You know, it's weird. <laughs> well, at this same time, 
that reporter Kathy Scruggs was desperately trying to confirm her source. Luckily, that morning, a local police officer called her and said that the FBI was looking at Richard Jewell as a suspect, and what's more, everyone knew it. To her, that meant the story had to be printed ASAP. Her editors agreed, and they decided that the afternoon edition would feature a cover page with the headline of, quote, FBI suspect's hero guard may have planted bomb. Yeah, what they did here for this article, they didn't want to reveal their main source or their secondary source, so they said it was basically the voice of God, where they don't identify a source. It's a pretty common journalistic thing. Um, it's also what shitty podcasts do. They don't tell you what their main source is. They're just like, oh, hey, here it is. It's Wikipedia. And that's what they did. They went and looked it up on Wikipedia. They're like, oh, fuck, Richard Jewell's a suspect. That's crazy. Yeah. That's why we always give you a main source. Mm-hmm. Even though they don't want their name attached to this podcast either. <laughs> please, please don't mention me. Please. No, don't, don't read my book. Don't read my, Oh, fuck, I read my book. <laughs> I've heard those 100 Proof History guys are going to do a, uh episode on the Third Battle of Ypres next week. Oh, fuck. I hope it's not my book. I hope it's not my book. I hope... It's your book. <laughs> well, the FBI was notified of this article and decided that Richard had to be interviewed immediately. They got to Richard's apartment at 4.30 p.m. and found that it was already swarming with reporters. They made their way inside and spoke to Richard and convinced him to come to the FBI offices voluntarily by telling him they wanted to interview him so they could make a training video for first responders. As they were driving, the AJC article became national news, unbeknownst to Richard. Yeah, and that's the thing. They were like, hey, why don't you come down here and talk about the uh, about this bombing? Like, well, I've already given you four interviews, guys. What, what more can you do? Well, we want you to make a video for law enforcement. He's like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. I love law enforcement. I'm a hero, and everybody's going to see me across the country. I'm going to be awesome, and they're going to love Richard Jewell. I'm going to get a job. Yeah, I'll be there, man. I'm going to live forever. Yep. Lived to a healthy old age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Died natural oh. causes. Hell yeah, Richard Jewell, baby. What? <laughs> Initially, agents Johnson and Rosario didn't read Richard his Miranda rights. After all, he was there voluntarily and was free to go at any time, so it really wasn't a requirement. And by the way, uh, if you guys don't know, Miranda rights are the thing you see on TV when cops arrest somebody. It's like, you have the right to remain silent, you have the right to an attorney, anything you say can be used against yeah. you in court, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just in case you didn't know. Which you only are required to read to somebody if they're being detained. And interrogated. You're not free to leave the room. Which at this point, they said, hey, Richard, you're you're here. Uh, you came voluntarily. You can leave at any time. So they don't have to read him his rights at that point. They talked for about 45 minutes before the director of the FBI, Louis Free, under advisement from Department of Justice attorney Merrick Garland, determined that Richard was 100% the bomber, and the FBI needed to read him his rights so that all of his statements would be admissible in court. And the reason why this was a big deal is because, what was it, a couple years prior? Terry Nichols, who was, you know, complicit in the Oklahoma City bombings, had voluntarily walked into a police station and just started talking, one of his lawyers argued that, like, hey, this dude was never read his rights. He wasn't detained. But uh, it could have gotten a lot of what he said completely thrown out. And so they didn't want that situation to pop up again. Right. So while he's doing this training video, 
It's like, oh, go ahead and uh, read them as right. Sorry for blowing up your whole fucking operation. Yeah, yeah. That, that, like you're saying, that was kind of the deal with Terry McGulls. They're like, we got away with it that time. Maybe this time we should just be more careful. Maybe this time mm-hmm, we should be, mm-hmm. read them the rights. And Merrick Garland's like, we're going to get this guy. We're going to nail this guy to the wall. This will be my ticket to the Supreme Court. Nothing's ever going to stop me. Nope. Nothing's going to stop me. There's not going to be an obstruction oh. in the Senate that's going to keep me from getting placed there one day. That'll never happen. Nope. They're going to hold the vote right away. Right away. They're going to say, hey, it's the last year of the presidency. We shouldn't do this. But uh, I got this shit in the bag. Mm-hmm. And then four years later, the same situation's going to come up. Roles reversed. They're going to ram it through in a couple of weeks. Like, <laughs> yeah. I already know it. Uh, <laughs> our political system is a sham. Because <laughs> you're a story, Chris. Oh, anyway. Little known fact. Well, not only was the FBI convinced that Richard Jewell was the bomber, they were so convinced that they'd get a confession that they'd already prepared to sell for him at the Atlanta Federal Penitentiary, which is a maximum security prison. He's ready for it. I got this shit. This guy's gonna got him. Or in the movie Office Space, a.k.a. Federal Pound Me in the Ass Prison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there a non-violent crime I could commit to get <laughs> sent there? <laughs> Three squares a day. In two rounds a day. Mm. You know, like a Ooh. penis. A round penis, Greg. That's what I'm saying. Oh. Do they have any prisons in Minecraft? <laughs> I want that square penis. <laughs> I want to feel I want the sharp that, edges. I want that pixelated dick. <laughs> oh, those are Japanese prisons. I, I see what you're saying. Yes. Oh, because it's all uh, they blur every censored. Nice. Anyway, oh, history podcast. Agent Johnson was pulled out of the room and told that he had to read Richard his rights. He was fucking livid. He knew that it would cause Richard to shut down and request an attorney. But orders were orders, said the Nazi. (laughs) He went back into the room and told Richard that he was going to play it up for the cameras like it was a, quote, real official interview, and asked Richard to sign a form waiving his rights. So shitty. So fucking shitty. I thought it was a pretty good play, though. But it's like, man, if you're, like, making this kind of coercive in a non-direct sense, this could be challenged the same way as just not reading him his rights. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. (laughs) You know, you can kind of trick him into coming to the interview. Hey, we're just going to video this. We just want to, like, do a training video. That's okay. And even his superiors will later say, hey, we we get that. This part is like... This is fucking shitty. Like you're trying to mm-hmm. trick a guy into waiving his rights. You like you need you need to be very clear. Hey, you're you're giving up some rights here to talk to me. He's essentially saying, "Hey, you're just, you know, this is part of the video basically implying that he's acting yeah. by giving up his rights, which <laughs> yeah. is it's bullshit. It's clever, but it's bullshit. Just pretend you're a piece of shit bomber and just write down the whole confession right here on this piece of paper. <laughs> exactly. But at this point Richard realized that he was actually a suspect, and he asked to call his lawyer. He called an old acquaintance and business attorney named Watson Bryant, but he didn't answer. It was then that Richard said fuck it and decided to sign the waiver and answer questions. You know, the dude knew he was innocent, 
which do you know that, listener? Maybe, maybe <laughs> not. Maybe the title gave it away, but maybe not. Yeah, and even shittier here from Agent Don Johnson when he said, no, I'm not signing it. I need to call my lawyer. He's like, why don't you call your lawyer? Aren't you a hero? Didn't you uh, do the right thing? Why do you need a lawyer right now? Listen, motherfucker. Uh, I think that's classic police tactic. Uh, right? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But uh, it, it feels shady as fuck to say, oh, you don't need a lawyer. You asked for a lawyer, but do you really? Do you really need one? Do you really? A little while later, Watson Bryant was walking through Centennial Olympic Park with his girlfriend when he spotted someone selling the AJC paper that reported that Richard was the prime suspect. He rushed home to find messages from Richard on his answering machine. It's like a voicemail at your house. <laughs> 90% of our listener base. Yeah, to like put a message on a tape and put it in there and then it record on the tape. And once your tape was full, you, were, you couldn't get any more messages. They're like, what the fuck is tape? Tape is what goes on the wrapping paper covering my PS5. Right. What are you old men talking about? So imagine the glory. Fuck you, kids. The glory days, kids. When, like right now, if you find out, hey, I'm failing history because I haven't listened to my favorite podcast enough and they haven't covered the subject. Like, instantly your parents get an email saying you're failing. Back then, the school would call and say, hey, your kid's a fucking idiot and is failing history. What you could do, if you knew that call was coming... You could just call up your own phone number and sing all of, like, Bohemian Rhapsody and just take up the whole tape. And your parents would never get that message. And Or if it came in the mail, you can go in there and just swipe it before they got that and just replace it with a bunch of, like, letters written from what looks like girly handwriting so your parents start fighting because obviously your dad's cheating on your mom again. <laughs> and they don't notice that you're failing history. But, you know... Technology fucks everything up, so now your your parents all know that you're an idiot. But uh, thanks for subscribing to the Patreon anyway. We'll we'll get to we'll get to whatever you're studying sooner or later. I'm sure. <laughs> well, Watson Bryant, the lawyer, then called the FBI, demanded to speak to Richard, and when he did, his advice to Richard was, "quote Shut the hell up and get your fat ass out of there." End quote. Same thing Greg tells me every morning after we finish podcasting. Fine. I'm used to it. The FBI got search warrants for Richard's home and truck and searched them both the following morning, taking everything they believe could be used to make explosives and vacuuming every surface hoping to find fiber evidence. They also began investigating the few friends he had. It turned out that someone had made a 911 call at around 12.56 on the morning of the bombing from a nearby payphone to warn the police about the bomb. But it had been confirmed that Richard was at the park at 12.57 a minute later and couldn't have walked that far in that amount of time, so he had to have had an accomplice. Meanwhile, the media continued to crucify Richard. And this, um, we don't get into it too much, but this is basically when the 24-hour news cycle really started ramping up, when it didn't become so much about the accuracy of the story. It became more about the first to break it. Yeah. And, and this is something that plagues us to this fucking day. It's awful. There's no journalistic integrity. But this is really where this 
started to show its ugly face. Right. If you're a Patreon subscriber or a day one follower, you would have heard our first three episodes about the Gulf War. And that was kind of the birth of the 24-hour news cycle. Like, you needed to, you just needed to be there and see all that happening. But this was really the the birth of first, not best. Like, it, it just get it out there. If we're not right, we'll be right later. But just get out there. You have to be the first to break the story. Yes. And so, you know, once he's named as the prime suspect, everybody ran with it. And now this dude is fucking guilty in the court of public opinion. Just like OJ. (laughs) (laughs) Who was actually guilty, but technically (laughs) not. (laughs) Good job, Mark Furman, you piece of shit. One AJC writer compared Richard to Wayne Williams an Atlanta serial killer who had also lived with his mother and wanted to be a cop. Tom Brokaw of NBC News said an arrest was all but certain, and late-night comedian, quote-unquote, <laughs> Jay Leno said Richard was a misfit and a cop wannabe and compared Richard to the guy who had assaulted Nancy Kerrigan at the 1994 Winter Olympics and then said, quote, What is it about the Olympic Games that brings out fat, stupid guys? End quote. Hashtag boomer jokes. They just fucking died laughing. <laughs> he's fat. Mm-hmm. He's stupid. He killed a bunch of people. <laughs> and Jay Leno's still up there like, oh, hang on. I got a lot of cars on my right. <laughs> I'm going to fuck over Conan O'Brien. Watch this shit. <laughs> As the news made its way across the country, people came forward saying Richard had always wanted to be a hero and had often talked about making bombs, and had even been witnessed blowing shit up in rural Georgia. But pretty much all of these leads turned out to be complete bullshit. As a matter of fact, none of the evidence was pointing to Richard Jewell. There was no bomb residue on anything he owned. A fingerprint that had been found on part of the bomb didn't match Richard's. All of his friends were supportive, and none of their voices matched the one heard on the 911 call, you know, which they assumed was an accomplice of his. All the FBI had was a profile saying that Richard Jewell wanted to be a hero, and that profile was built on Richard Jewell. Just built it around Richard Jewell. Holy so, shit, it matches Richard Jewell! <laughs> yeah, what? so of course they have that. Uh, there is something you, you just said. It reminds me of a discussion we've had multiple times on this show. And that is the people building the story. I wouldn't call myself gay. No, not that one. Not that one. <laughs> is the answer. Oh, oh, okay. No, it's... Necessarily. Necessary. It's people building their memories around events that happened later. You know, we've talked about, like, people saying, Oh, JFK said he was going to get shot today, and there it was. Like, all these people saying, Richard Jewell was always talking about bombs and... Confirmation bias. Blowing up yes. the Olympics. Yeah, that's what it is. Confirmation bias. But... Like, even then, like, it never fucking happened. Like, they just, like, like maybe... Invented it. Yeah, yeah. maybe he was talking about bombs. Like, it's the 90s, so, like, when you... And you sleep on that a few times, and it's like, no, that motherfucker was talking about bombs. Because I thought about it one time that maybe he was. Now he definitely was. But really, he was like, that ass is da bomb. You're like, oh, it's the 90s, that makes sense. That's what we say now. Yeah, dope. It was the midnight. Dope, Richard. Yeah. That's that's fly of you to say. Like, <gasps> he said bomb. That motherfucker was always saying bomb. Oh, we got him. That's it. We got him. That's it. 
Ladies and gentlemen. Close the case. Yeah. We should just go straight into the fast facts right now. Let's do it. All right. Fuck this show. No, no. Just kidding. Richard Jewell soon hired attorneys Jack Martin and... Lynn Wood. They gave him a polygraph test, which he passed. They went public with that and then demonstrated that it would have been impossible for Richard to walk from the phone where the 911 call was made and make it back to the park to be seen a minute later. In October, after 88 days of scrutiny, the FBI relented and released a public statement that cleared Richard as a suspect. His attorneys instantly went to work suing the shit out of everyone. And do you remember when this was going on? Was that? All of this. Do you remember when this was going on? As a human, like I was living through the time period? I don't remember much about this, like paying attention to this, honestly. I remember the, the 96 games, but I don't really remember paying Man, I do. Yeah? I remember this. And I remember like, oh, they fucking got the bomber? Yeah. It was it like, I, I remember he, he was the hero, touted as the hero, and then all of a sudden he did it. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah? Yeah. I actually do remember that. I don't. I don't remember too much of the ensuing details, but I do remember this. Real talk. When the 96 games were happening, I was on vacation with my family. We're visiting family in Alabama. A guy had worked for like NASA and all this shit. The only thing I did was stay in his study and play a flight simulator and ignore my family on fucking vacation. Like, I don't fucking talk to those guys. Like, oh, the gymnastics team won. That's great. I'm going to shoot down this fucking German Stuka right now. These fucking bastards think they could win the war. So I really wasn't paying attention to much that was happening. I love their ideology, but I hate their aircraft. (laughs) That's what you were thinking. That's definitely not what I was thinking. (laughs) You know, it's funny. We've talked a lot about Lynn Wood, and this is basically, I think this is the only time we're really actually going to mention him in the story is where he hired him, and then, like, he was going at people and suing them and stuff. If you didn't know anything about Lynn Wood and the the election shit that we've been joking about and all that stuff, even reading this book, you'd be like, Lynn Wood's a fucking cunt. This fucking guy's just a fucking dickhead to everyone. Oh, yeah. Like, the book's like, oh, he's fiery and he's angry and he's just charging at him. Like, this guy is just a fucking prick. Well, he's represented a lot of people. You got Richard Jewell. Mm-hmm. The Ramseys in the John Bonet Ramsey case. Of course, Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's definitely made a name for himself. He's he's big time, but man, like this book the book's not trying to paint him as a prick, but he comes across as a prick in the book. Hundred percent, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling that's just how he is. <laughs> Federal agent Don Johnson was kicked off the bomb case for his shady method of getting Richard to sign the waiver of his rights. Despite a complete lack of evidence, he remained insistent that Richard Jewell was actually the bomber, and he kept a secret private file trying to prove this case for years. Later, it would be revealed that he was the reporter Kathy Scruggs' secret source. Ah, the guy said the FBI's looking... The Richard Jewell was from mm-hmm. the FBI. The whole thing that broke this case was this asshole talking to a hot piece of ace. We got him. We got him. This guy who cheated on his wife and, you know, they ended up divorced. Yeah, yeah, he's just kind of maybe trying to maybe trying to dip his old pen in uh, somebody else's ink, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> 
<laughs> infidelity joke, Greg. That's what you're supposed to do. Oh. You're not supposed to dip it in the company ink. Oh, I don't know how it works. I've never dipped my pen in anybody's ink. Makes the fact that I'm a father very confusing to me. Wait, I worked at a museum when uh when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And the museum director, he liked to actually kind of cosplay, I guess. He wasn't called that at the time. Yeah. But he would cosplay as Benjamin Franklin. Mm-hmm. And uh, one time he was in the shitter. A modern toilet, I might add. Well, that's bullshit. Like, yeah, okay. Psh, exactly. Live the life or don't. <laughs> but uh, while he was gone, I I did put my penis in his ink quill. <laughs> so I, I did, in fact, dip my... Pin is <laughs> your pen fifteen in the is. company ink. <laughs> oh, that was worth the setup. Here we go. Continue. Oh, man, I was hoping I was gonna get there. I was like, Fuck. All right. All right, we did it. It's like you're you're strapping the lawnmower engine onto the the weird frame. You're like, I don't know if it's gonna work, guys. I don't know if we're gonna make this fly and land, but uh let's just set it off anyway. Let's just climb on board. Let's just see what Kitty Hawk has to offer. There you go. You landed like the it. The first guy that made the Sibian, the prototype <laughs> Sibian machine. Like, I don't know what's going to happen here. Or the guy that put the dildo on the end of the sawzall. <laughs> this might end up killing me. I'm not sure. But let's. Oh, yes. If he does, it's worth it. I like that he tested it on himself first. That's ethical. It's very smart. Yeah. Come on. Honey, how to get in here? Let me, let me see what I let me see. just come check out what I fucking made, honey. Bruce, come on. <laughs> Dissimulated, I put a mustache on the end. You know, just to see what it feels like. A little tickling action. <laughs> well, the media went to work blaming every other media outlet for ruining Richard Jewell's life. NBC, CNN, and the FBI all settled out of court, prompting. Again, quote-unquote, comedian Jay Leno to say that Richard Jewell would soon be Tom Brokaw's boss. Laugh track. Of course, he also took the time to call Richard white trash while he was at it. Mm. Fucking hate Jay Leno. That didn't come across in this outline, and my comment is, <laughs> fuck you, Jay Leno. Still, Richard would eventually earn over a million dollars in settlements. So. If Richard Jewell was a real-life hero and didn't bomb the Olympics, who did? See you next time in part two. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Allow us to introduce you to human piece of shit, Eric Rudolph. Born in 1966, Rudolph was raised as a racist, religious zealot. After earning his GED, he enlisted in the Army, but soon became staunchly anti-government and was kicked out after only a year, when he intentionally failed the drug test. He was in around the same time as our boy. I mean, our boy. Uh, a guy, Your boy. A guy we've talked about before, Timothy McVeigh, which is very weird that around this time there were so many anti-government guys in the military. Uh, Randy Weaver also joined the military around this time and became staunchly anti-government. So... It's just a weird note. I don't, none of them ever met. Well, really, we did an episode on Ruby Ridge, mm -hmm. then we did Waco, and then we did Oklahoma City bombing. Mm -hmm. This really could have been part four in that. Yes, 100%. If yeah. there wasn't 
the whole framed uh, false accusation thing, yeah, this one would probably fall right in line because they were all kind of similar and within years of each other. So because Rudolph was also enraged by Ruby Ridge and Waco and all that shit, and also very strangely guy who served in the military but became anti-government i don't know that is something about serving your your country that makes you like fucking hate your country i don't know i don't know what it is greg can you tell me no tell me greg that's my secret <laughs> what are those wires in the background nothing this- nothing <laughs> and we're back as the years passed rudolph became increasingly extreme in his religious and anti-government beliefs By 1996, he was completely disillusioned and wanted to bomb the Olympics because he believed it was the ultimate display of New World Order Socialism. He had intended to detonate a bomb for five straight days during the Olympics, but got spooked after the media scrutiny of the first bombing and changed his plans. In January of 1997, he planted another bomb outside of an Atlanta abortion clinic. After it went off, first responders rushed to the scene. A second bomb that was hidden in the bushes then went off, wounding six police officers as well as bystanders. The officers had been the real target all along. Yeah, so the second bomb was actually, you know, planted to kill all the cops. They got very lucky because next door to that abortion clinic was a methadone clinic. And some heroin addicts had parked their car in front of the methadone clinic, and when the bomb went off, that car kind of shielded everybody from the explosion, so they got very lucky that more people weren't killed. Thank you, heroin. Another life saved. (laughs) I like jazz music. I like cops not getting killed. Who do I thank for that? Heroin. (laughs) A month later, Rudolph set off another bomb at an Atlanta gay bar called the Other Side Lounge. This time, police were wise to his tricks and found the second bomb before the timer went off. Yeah, and after that, he would write a letter to the papers, and it's like, I'm anti-abortion, I'm anti-gay. Maybe he was. He was super right-wing, like Christian, like crazy, like way out there guy. But his primary target was actually the federal government. He wanted to kill as many feds as he could. If he could kill somebody having an abortion, that's fine, but he wanted to draw in the government will draw in the feds and then detonate that second explosion and kill as many cops. As well as just regular police. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, a year later, Rudolph bombed another clinic, this time using a bomb detonated by remote control. A police officer was killed and a nurse was seriously wounded. As everyone rushed to help, Rudolph calmly walked away. Which, of course, drew suspicion. Yeah, where are they going? Everybody's running towards it, like, what the fuck just happened? He's like, cartoon whistle (laughs) (laughs) dragging away the detonator the plunger that you see in cartoons just like (laughs) 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 like. (laughs) witnesses were able to provide police a description and a license plate which revealed the bomber's identity to the FBI who had noticed that all of these devices were similar and had the same kind of heavy metal plate designed to direct the blast Rudolph, who was a survivalist, went on the run in the wild in his home state of North Carolina. He managed to avoid law enforcement by living off the land and by gathering supplies from another paranoid anti-government fucking nutjob 
who told him that he just had to hold out until January 1st, 2000, because Y2K was going to bring the end of the world. And it did. End of story. We'll see you guys next week. I'm sorry, I, I don't get to do end of story. I just received a written reprimand in my email from Greg. I don't get to say that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. Rudolph would actually be on the run until January of 2003, when a rookie police officer in Murphy, North Carolina, caught him digging through the dumpster behind a Save-A-Lot grocery store. Turns out, for all his survival instincts, Rudolph had almost starved until he had started sneaking into town to eat out of grocery store dumpsters. It would take two years, but after agreeing to show the FBI where he had hid his remaining 200 pounds of dynamite that he had stolen from a quarry, Eric Rudolph pled guilty to all of the bombings and was sentenced to four life sentences. When's he going to get out? Any day now, right? Yeah, he's in good old ADX Florence. Yeah, on the, the same uh, hole as the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. 23 hours a day, all by yourself? That's the fucking life, man. I'm going to blow some shit Eric up Eric Reed later. is there? Yeah. Uh, shoe bomber? The guy who invented that plastic shit that goes around, like, electronics that takes, like, six hours to open with scissors and stuff? He's there? That motherfucker? Clam the flex shell. seal guy? No, the clam seal. The clamshell seal stuff you get on electronics. Like, you buy a controller or, like, a... A USB stick, and you're like, what the fuck is this garbage? You're like, you can't open it, you gotta get scissors, and you like cut across it, but it breaks your scissors. I'm gonna be honest right now, Chris, I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> oh, you mean when you get them from the retail outlet? Yes! Oh, yes. okay. I'm, I'm stupid, sorry. I mean, it's been 20 years since you bought anything retail. Everything's digital now, and it just comes in the fucking box, and you're like, oh, look. Amazon. I download my dildos. <laughs> I got a 3D printer, bitches. <laughs> I was going to say, everybody's like, why do you have a 3D printer? Like, you can't even, like, what are you even printing on that? Like, hmm, nothing. Nothing. Well, it's, it's useless. Ooh, what was that? Lightsabers. Oh. <laughs> Dragon scaled lightsabers. <laughs> Why did you just do that thing where you act like you got a chill down your spine? No, no reason. Just sat down weird, I guess. I don't know. It's cold in here. <laughs> right? We're on, a, on the border patio. It's 98 degrees outside. <laughs> Look, just stop asking questions. You don't want the answer. <laughs> sorry, I need to go to the bathroom and replace my tampon. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> don't again. No more questions. I want the carnitas fajitas. The waiter comes back. Presidente Margarita. Fuck. <laughs> Jesus. Happy birthday to Greg, I guess. Shut up, Mom. Jesus. <laughs> it's okay, boy. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Agent Don Johnson would resentfully retire from the FBI and would spend most of his remaining days estranged from his friends and family before dying of cancer, woefully, in 2003. Fuck that guy. Due to back problems and anxiety from lawsuits, AJC reporter Kathy Scruggs would develop an opioid addiction and would overdose in early September 2001. You know, and I can't help but feel, I mean, she died like a week before 
September 11th attacks. Yeah. yeah. I can't help but feel if she'd maybe like just push through that, mm-hmm. what she was going through then. If she could have found herself in the wake of, yeah. you know, 9 11, 2001, maybe she would have, uh, like kind of bounced know. back. Like yeah, she found has a, a new story to, to cover. live yeah. in, a, in such a positive world that it became <laughs> immediately after that, you know? You know, but she felt hopeless then. So I began reading this book fucking hating her. Like she's just out to get a story. She's gonna she doesn't care who it fucks over. But then I was like, you know, any any reporter would have done the same thing she did. And then I just as the book progressed, I'm like, I feel so bad for this lady. Because she's just getting hammered by Lynn Wood and in like these depositions and trying to give up her sources and all this stuff. Oh, you mean like when she's getting castigated for being drunk out of her mind and getting in a cab naked? Well, we've all been there. Come on, that is, man. That is true. I do Come feel on. for her. I do feel for her. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, her life kind of fell apart. And it, you know, it wasn't a result of her being a bad person. She's got kind of hooked on pills. And we've all been there. We've all been hooked on pills, Greg. That's all I'm saying. Is anybody really a bad person? Uh, I mean, Hitler is pretty, he's pretty shitty. Was he bad or was he just a vic- victim Eric of circumstance? Eric Rudolph, you know, victim of circumstance. Okay, yeah, yeah, there are bad people. I'm sorry, I immediately, right when I said it, I take yes, it back. I got to reverse an opinion. I fucking did it. Show's over. We're done forever. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> Best goddamn day of my life. Fuck you, marriage. Fuck you, childbirth. Best day of my life. <laughs> well, as for Richard Jewell, he would go on to work as a police officer and sheriff's deputy. He even did a guest spot on SNL. In 1998, he met a child protective services worker named Dana, and the two were soon wed. Richard actually had a pretty good life after he was cleared as a suspect, but he developed diabetes and kidney failure in early 2007. On August 29, 2007, Dana found him unresponsive in their home. Richard Jewell was dead at the age of 44. Oof. In the end, Richard was, he was kind of a goofy dude, right? And he always wanted to be in the center of the action, but he always wanted to make sure he was doing the right thing. It was a bit ironic that he idolized law enforcement so much. And yet the FBI had done everything they could to fuck him over. Who knows? Maybe if he had ever listened to this podcast, many, many stories of FBI fuck-ups, he would have seen it all coming. But I guess we'll never know. Because he's dead. (laughs) End of story. Woo! All right, we did it. We told that tale of Richard Jewell. Eric Rudolph, the Olympic bombing, all that. I hope it left you titillated. Or you're like, who did this? Was it Richard Jewell? Was it somebody else? Uh, up until you're like that point where you're like, no, no, I want Richard Jewell. Come on, guys. Nobody added up. Like, none of it made sense, stupid. Hopefully you overlooked the title and yes, all of yeah. the uh, illusion up, up to the point where it was like, yeah, it, it was this guy. It was Eric yeah. Rudolph. Yeah. I hope you're like, What? I didn't see that coming at all. I'm an idiot. I I wasn't listening. I was thinking about candy necklaces when you guys mentioned that maybe it wasn't Richard Jewell. That's okay. That's okay. You can listen again. You can 
catch all the clues. But for right now, it's time for Fast Facts. Fast Fact number one. On the morning of the 96 Games opening ceremony, UPS employees found what appeared to be an explosive device at one of their checkpoints. The FBI was contacted and the package was rendered safe. When they examined the bomb, they learned it was a fake package sent by UPS to test their own security. The FBI was less than pleased. Fast Fact Number 2 Naturally, the Olympics was a big destination for celebrities. One such celebrity was then New York real estate mogul Donald J. Trump. During his visit, he dropped his wallet at a local cheesecake factory. A 15-year-old boy found it and returned it to the billionaire. His reward? Trump autographed the kid's own $20 bill. And none of that is made up. <laughs> like, swear to God, none of that's made up. I think my favorite part's the Cheesecake Factory. Like, you're a fucking know, billionaire. Right? <laughs> Fast fact number three. On Good Morning America, one Atlanta attorney said that Richard was guilty and deserved no presumption of innocence. When the host said she might be wrong and might be making his life hell, she said, well, you know, that may be true, but you had to weigh his suffering against the two dead victims of the bombing. That attorney was Nancy Grace, who would go on to make millions by saying vapid shit like that on TV. Fast fact number four. Eric Rudolph was a complete and total piece of shit who targeted abortion clinics, the LGBTQ community, and law enforcement because he had some pretty fucked up views. Still, while he was on the run in North Carolina, people supported him by wearing shirts that read, Run, Run, Rudolph, or Eric Rudolph, Hide and Seek Champion, 1998, proving once more that humans are complete and total fucking garbage. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed that. We are Hunter Proof History. You can find us at HunterProofHistory.com. There you will find some episodes. You'll find information on us. You will find a link to our Patreon where you get new episodes at least two days early, sometimes earlier than that. Uh, you can get like a hundred pieces of audio that the regular plebs do not get for just $3 a month. It's, it's, it's such a deal. You guys should really look into that. Uh, you can also find us at Hundred Proof History on all your social media platforms. You can find us on YouTube, as we mentioned at the very beginning of the episode. And for Wolf Dick, our esteemed invalid producer, for Dan Dan, the intro man, for Hambone, who made a very brief appearance this episode, I am your sexiest of co-hosts, Chris. And our main host, Gregory, do you have anything else for these humans? I'm just glad that there's only one more episode that I have to deal with these fucking people <laughs> before I can go on my Thailand vacation. Yes. Those boys don't know what's coming. Sorry. Hey, hey. Sorry. sorry. Lady boys, <laughs> Suspension of disbelief, my man. <laughs> and uh, no, I'm looking forward to next week, of course. 
and we'll be back after that month. We're going to at least a hundred. Mm-hmm. We might abruptly end this series. <laughs> yes. But probably not. We'll see how our lawyers settle up the contracts. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Have a good one. Bye. They don't have to be nude. It's CFNM. It's the What's that category. mean? CFNM. I don't know what that is. Clothed female naked male. Uh, I don't want to watch that. Ah! I just know that that's a category. <laughs> fucking pervert. But I'm saying they don't have to have the... They don't have to be naked. <laughs> you fucking sick fuck. <laughs> I don't need to see her. Let me see that ass. Just going in and out. Yeah, that's fine. But what you did was good, so keep fucking going. I made it fine. I saved us so much time. <laughs> Brushed your hair and told her, baby, you look so good. Let me just wipe off that little smudge of your lipstick. You're ready to go back out there and work, girl. You're doing good, John, but now you're doing real good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm your manager that nobody knows about. <laughs> I would watch myself a enough. Serbian film a hundred times before I watch Cats the fucking musical with fucking shit-ass James Corden. No. No. I'm not doing it. I have too much life left to live. I'd rather watch every ISIS film ever created, mm-hmm. but the intermission in between each clip mm-hmm. was Two Girls, One Cup. <laughs> I'd rather cats. do that. Is Richard Drew really a bad guy? Who the fuck is calling me? Who the fuck has their phone on? Scam likely. I was scammed into believing you were going to do a professional job here today. (laughs) I was scammed until my dad was going to love me. This scam Uh, is confirmed, not likely.